I just knew that I had to take the risk. And if failure was was an option, and if it was scary, then I'm probably doing the right thing. And I have yet to feel different than that. That was our guest for today, Ken King. There's loads more coming up from Ken. But first, we'd like to draw your attention to the sponsor of this episode, The Learning Physiotherapist. The Learning Physiotherapist is an online platform that was launched by myself and David this year, where we've brought together some of the world's most renowned physiotherapists and sports medicine experts to give lessons on the soft skills that make all of the difference in the profession. Some of the experts include Amy Arendale, Stefania Rizzo, Dr. Ian Horsley, Nicole Van Dyke, Grant Downey, Benoit Matthew, to name but a few. Not only will you get access to masterclasses delivered by these mentors, but you'll also get the chance to join a community of like-minded, ambitious physiotherapists looking to learn, network, and grow. And finally, the best part about The Learning Physiotherapist is that it's a non-profit organization. Each monthly membership goes towards supporting cancer research, IBS, Down syndrome, and mental health support services. The course has just kicked off in January of this year, but there's still time to join. So check us out at www.thelearningphysiotherapist.com. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, episode number 106. Today we spoke with Ken King, talent developer, leader, entrepreneur and CEO of Boost Innovation. Ken has moved from coaching basketball to being a leader of a large international organization that focuses on ongoing learning, resiliency and culture analytics with Boost Institute. Check out the fundamental learning skills according to Boost such as culture, feedback and communication controllables and all the other fantastic work that they're doing. In this episode, we hear about the origin story of Boost, the Dragonfly, and family and corporate values, and Ken's leadership journey. Ken talks about quality and scalability, and that challenging balance. He also shares his experience from the prestigious Alt-MBA course run by Seth Godin. Ken sheds light on the values of his company and how they haven't really changed, despite significant innovation, product diversity, service offering progressions, and increased company size. We really admire that. Here's a story of a full-time coach in basketball at 23 who took the plunge to become a fully-fledged entrepreneur and is succeeding and inspiring many. Thanks for joining us, Ken. Ken King, thanks for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? We're all very well here. Ken, where is home for you so that we can understand geography for a minute? Well, home right now is in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I'm originally from a smaller town called Sudbury in Ontario, Canada. I know Ontario. I actually spent four years of my young life in Montreal, so the neighboring province. So I've, I would have been to Ottawa and Toronto many a time. Calgary once for Calgary Stampede, but that was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Well, the I'll, I'll tell you right now that it's it's very much like living in a different world moving from Ontario to Alberta. There's there's a ton of differences, not saying good or bad, just a lot of differences. <laughs> I bet. So Ken, just share with the listeners a little bit as to kind of who you are and, and what you do. You know, we'll kind of get straight into the meat of it nearly. Yeah. And you know what? Um, I, I love that you asked that as two separate things, because one of the things that we do and one of the things that I believe in who I am is is really decoupling and separating who you are and what you do. And, and I think far too many times now, 
people tend to see those things as being the same thing. Like, and I know I'll, I'll give an example. So I coached university and college basketball here in Canada for about 10 years as an assistant coach um, on the men's side back in Ontario at, at what we call U Sports, which is the top level of, of basketball in Canada. And then moved out here to Alberta to coach on the women's side in, the, in CCAA, which is the kind of next tier of, of basketball in Canada. And, and I thought misguidedly that I was a basketball coach. That was both who I was and what I did. And that quickly led to personal challenges and a very big lack of fulfillment. And and in spite of being a tenure track and, and uh, instructor and, and full-time coach, um, I decided to resign that and and move into something that, that decoupled who I was from what I did a bit more. I stayed with coaching uh, here in Calgary as an assistant coach again on the women's side, but I also started a business uh, after spending a little bit of time working for some other companies in, in consulting. And, and this business now, uh, Boost Innovation, operates the Boost Institute, which is probably our most well-known front-facing branch of Boost Innovation and Boost Tech, which is our emerging branch uh, where we're designing some software and, and creating some stuff. So who I am is is I'm a son uh, to two amazing parents back in Ontario and a brother to a younger sister who just recently got engaged. And we're going through that probably for the next year or so of, of, of helping her plan that. And what I do is I, I try to learn and I try to create stuff and, and do things that make me feel fulfilled. That's great. Tell us a bit about the work that you do with the Boost Innovation and the front-facing Boost Institute. Absolutely. The Boost Innovation really came to be, and actually we just put out a social post kind of explaining it because we get a lot of feedback that's like, why do you have Boost Innovation, Boost Tech, and Boost Institute? And Boost Institute was actually the first version or the first iteration, I guess, of the company where we were doing a lot of consulting and training, running courses and that sort of thing. Um, it's had other names before that, but, but Boost Institute was really where we settled in. And we were doing a lot of work in, in training and performance and learning, giving mindfulness, meditation, and mental skills to people to help them perform better as individuals and in groups. And as many people in training and consulting learn, I realized that it was infinitely unscalable for me to run a business where I had to be in the room to deliver all the content. So that combined with um, the the 2020 events that we've that we've all been a part of really led me to want to try to expand, not necessarily expand our overhead costs by expanding people or expanding space or expanding geography, but instead really try to innovate and expand into a technology that would make training, consulting, and evaluation of performance and culture more scalable so that more people could have access with for an affordable cost and get highly impactful performance and culture consultation without needing somebody in the room to do it all the time. So that's how Boost Institute kind of flowed into Boost Tech. There's so much there that we want to unpack. And um, you've thrown out about five or six concepts I'd love to explore, but but nearly before we dig into some of those entities, we, we were just obviously trawling through your website and your social media. And I really like the the logo you have, the, um, the dragonfly kind of just resonated a little bit with the two of us here and and we read your story but if you wouldn't mind just sharing that 
with everyone who's tuning into the show today. Well, our, I appreciate so much that you that you read that story, and that's honestly exactly why the logo is what it is. Is I want people to know what's behind it, and the dragonfly comes from a symbolism that was used at my grandmother's funeral. So she passed away years ago now, um, but it was she was highly impactful in my life and the lives of many of the people in our family, really, really a matriarch that, that, that held a lot of the, the family kind of was that person pulling on all the, all the ropes, trying to keep everybody grounded and, and at the center and connected to the core. And, and she was just such an amazing person. She, she did a lot of caring for me when I was young. And, um, it, it was at her funeral where my cousin, who's actually a minister here in Canada, she's got her PhD, um, I guess her doctorate of, of God or something. I, I'm sorry, Heather. I can't remember what her PhD is in, but <laughs> she has her, she has her PhD in something theological. And, and, and though I am not, uh, I don't, I don't subscribe to a particular religion per se at the funeral. She read a book to the young children. So I was probably about, uh, I was in my early twenties at this time, but they really, there was a lot of young kids in our family and she read a a children's book about death to them about the dragonfly and how um though the dragonfly once it's once it's kind of spawned into an, an actual dragonfly can no longer return to the water where it was where it was originally living before it spawned um it can still look down into the water and and observe and and watch over uh, all the all the other unspawned dragonflies I, I can't remember what they're called that are uh, that are in the water and though it was meant for the young kids this was one of the most most concrete images that that I think I'd ever heard and it actually became a symbol for our family so we have a uh, log cabin in northern Ontario uh, my immediate family called Camp Dragonfly um my cousin Heather, who I mentioned, has her boat's named after it. There's jewelry, and we um, I have a tattoo on me of, of a dragonfly. So it's it's really become it's really become something that carries forward through everything. It's a really nice thing. I don't think any of us has thought of doing something like that. Brings the family together nicely. Just going back to what you had said, and as David said, we need to unpack some of them entities that you mentioned. You said scalable and affordable in terms of providing services and consultation for companies or for individuals. How did you manage to create quality for an affordable cost that wasn't on the market before? Well, honestly, one of the one of the main things was we started out with a company value, and, and this is on our website, of, of really trying to be nimble and make sure that we didn't have large costs for us that would ever kind of hang over us in decisions that we made. We wanted to be able to make decisions by following what we believed in our passions and what we would believe was most effective for our client and not make decisions based on wanting to cover costs. And, and that actually came, uh, and I know you've had him on a, on your show, a friend of mine, Trevor Reagan, he, him and I were talking one day about our common belief in the ability for people to access quality learning for free. And we, we really started to try to put stuff out there over Zoom and, and other methods, um, probably around this time last year. And, and obviously that was advantageous 
in a way that we didn't know it would be moving into the coming months uh, after December 2019. But I think that the main thing was making sure that not only did did we want to create something that people could access for an affordable cost at the training side, but that we were able to design it and deliver it in a way that didn't have that weight on our shoulders of our own costs. And and there's economic reasons that that's beneficial. But I think that one of the things that many people miss is there's decision-making and design and creativity reasons that make that highly important because it starts to thread through everything you do when those costs hang over top of you. And then the other side is that we're we're designing a software that that measures culture in groups and and in individuals and teams, a separate software that that we're hoping to accurately create and and evaluate conditions for flow in groups. And that I can't tell you a ton about because we're trying to we're working on investment pools and our director of technology is trying to get uh, work with me to map that out right now. But that's really in my mind the premium kind of version of scalability and affordability is when somebody who can't hire a full time consultant is able to access a software that gets them the majority of the way or maybe even all the way to that growth culture or flow condition that they need in their organization. That's lovely, Ken. And just with the fact that you've pivoted and and obviously shown evidence of significant innovation and and gone into these sort of different niche areas um, over the last 12 to 18 months in the learning development space, in the educational space, have the values that you had from the start when you founded this whole thing changed? So as you're trying to still bring I'm sure so much alignment and coherence through the whole boost platform and you've scaled and even ranged out the services have the values that have underpinned it from the start changed or or are they still very much the same i've really strived and everybody who we've had come in and and go out because one of the things that that i've it's not in any formal value but i want to hire young people who are just coming out of their schooling sometimes it's unpaid internships to be frank we can't always afford to pay them but but i want to bring people in who are otherwise going into careers where they would have to kind of quote unquote pay their dues for a long time and and i want i want that young energy right away and and give them opportunity right away to have more autonomy and more um, responsibility than they might anywhere else and so as those people have come in and out, our core values really haven't changed because we've actually brought people in based on them. Um, there's just a, they're just non-negotiables. And I think maybe that's my sport background that really, and my coaching background that really resonates with me when I'm, when I'm bringing people in and when we're making decisions is that <clears throat> one of our values, for example, is to do good and be good. And it sounds super simple and maybe grammatically slightly incorrect, but it's it's about our company, our but then our expanding to our larger city here in Calgary. But we also have people who work with us in New York and in, and in California, um, our, our entire country and and the world. When we talk about uh, the environment, is is specifically listed in our values as something that we want to be conscious of. And and in fact, we're currently exploring. Uh, no longer flying as a company and, and starting to look at the logistics of, of being able to 
drive and and take boats to to everywhere we have to go and and whether or not that's actually something that's feasible from a from an economic standpoint but those those values are are our foundation they're they've taken us so far and and i'm it goes with the nimble aspect and the curious and growth oriented aspect in our values that if we want to change them, we'll change them. But we have yet to see a need to do so. And they've served us well up to this point. It's very nicely put. And then speaking of your operations, if a company or say someone was listening who wanted to avail of the services that you offer, almost like a case study, how, how would that process look? And where would you start? Well, it, it really does depend on the stream that they would want to enter at. So we have we have three core services that we provide at the Boost Institute. And that is our Boosting Resiliency Launchpad, which we deliver to sport teams and companies. And it's specifically called a launchpad as opposed to a workshop or training or certification because whenever you're talking about a psychological skill or a group skill, there's no such thing as a certificate where you you spend a eight hour, sixteen hour weekend in in our course, and then we can give you the thumbs up and say congratulations, you are now resilient. It just doesn't work that way. So the launchpad name is very uh, specific because we we want to give that feel for for these are tools. This is a foundation, and this is going to launch you into being able to build yourself. So the Boosting Resiliency Launchpad is one. We also have our Boosting Body and Mind course in partnership with an all-female-run athletic therapy clinic here in Alberta called Revival Therapeutics and Performance, which is a unique course because it couples two things that many sport teams don't get, i.e. injury prevention and some mental skills all in one course. And then Boosting Yourself Matters, and your and self as two separate words, is a third training that we provide in partnership with Canadian Olympic basketball coach Shawnee Harley, who owns a company called Winning Matters. And any of those can be can be booked through our website or or contact. We can be contacted by email and set that up, or any of our partners can be contacted to set that up. And then the culture analytics side is really where we get deep into data and we try and and have had some success in collecting data from the organizations that we work with trying to analyze data points that fit into an algorithm that we've created in order to measure culture in groups. And that's really in both the Boost Tech and Boost Institute side because that methodology is directly used in our GROW project, which is measuring growth culture in business and how oriented the the group is and the, the people in it are to growing and continuing to become uh, higher levels of themselves as individuals in order to grow the overall organization. And that methodology is also used in our flow project, which is specific to sports where we measure the conditions of flow and try and increase the capacity for flow and put the emphasis on achieving the conditions for flow, not achieving flow itself because it's a bit of a misnomer in sport of try, of pursuing flow in particular, when really the journey to flow is really where we want people to focus. So that culture analytics side really is something that we, we do on a case-by-case basis. Usually we're contacted by email to set something up. We'll collect some data and we can give a written report very easily now, but we'll, we'll also stream many people using our, using our culture analytics into the grow or flow projects that are 
the basis of what is one day going to be our software. Ken, as I've said to Trevor Reagan, we'd love to talk to you several times, and I think it's the same. We'd love to talk to you about culture, about flow, resiliency, launchpad, so many different things, but we can't talk forever at the moment. What I'd like to do is just tap into a little bit on your identity piece for now. I love the way you answered that, that you said, you know, you're a son of, and that was how you started. And I think that's how Kiran and I would nearly um, answer that question too. You know, you're a coach and you've obviously had a lot of exposure in the basketball space for, for a decade and more, but then you made the transition to founding a company and kind of spearheading it in a leadership role. What was that like, you know, to make that leap or step of faith, as it were, to become a fully fledged entrepreneur and, and building out your own business? Scary as shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I don't know if I can swear on here, but of course um, you can. <laughs> Yeah, it's it was terrifying. Like I mentioned, I I I had that great job when I was 23. I was I was hired to be a full-time instructor and basketball coach and great pay, great pension, benefits. Was on track to retire when I was like I think 51 or something like that. And and as I'm saying that out loud now, I'm kind of like, oh, that's that pretty stupid now. <laughs> but no, it just it, it you really sometimes I think we have those moments where maybe we're in a really dark place and we just have to notice that we can't see, or maybe we're in a place where. We, we think that the sun is shining on us, but really it's just a bright light and we, we can't actually, we, we were just a little bit um, deluded on what's actually going on. And, and I had, I had that moment where I realized like, wait a minute, that's not the sun. That's, that's just a, that's just a fluorescent light of a gym. And it feels good in certain moments because you might win a game or that there's attention or, or money, like I mentioned, or, or some kind of compensation, but it's just not happy and it wasn't i love coaching basketball i absolutely love it but i knew that 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 situation for a multitude of reasons just wasn't going to work for me and and i tried to work for somebody else and i and i did work for somebody else and i made the cardinal error of working for slash with a very good friend of mine and and they were all they were a startup at the time and that didn't work out either and and i maybe i'm biased but i don't think it's because i'm particularly challenging to work with or be around or <laughs> or employ but it just i had a vision of what i believed training and innovation looked like and i knew that there was only one way to actually see if that was achievable or not and i still don't know if if it's uh, quote unquote right or if it's if it's going to be financially lucrative or if it's going to be a whatever somebody might see as a success from the outsides though i don't necessarily uh subscribe to the to the school of thought that that something has to be that something can be successful or unsuccessful but i i just knew that i had to take the risk and if failure was was an option and if it was scary and if it made me feel nauseous like it just did when I was talking about how early I could retire and how nice everything <laughs> could have been, then I'm probably doing the right thing. And 
I have yet to feel different than that. Excellent. I was going to speak about build off the identity piece, but you said something there that I just want to dig into a little bit more. You mentioned that financially succeeding with the with the businesses isn't exactly a measure of success for you. What would success look like if you were to look at yourself 10 years down the line for your businesses and your personal and family life as well? That's a, you asked that as a very simple question and <laughs> you made that sound like it was such, it was going to be like a one line yes, answer. Lots <laughs> um, of money. Yeah. Yeah, just a few million bucks in the bank and and a house on a beach. No, I, I in coaching, I was often challenged. I had an amazing athletic director or, or boss, I guess, at uh, Red Deer College was the name of the school that I was coaching at uh, originally here in Alberta. And her name is Diane St. Denis. And she just taught me so much about everything to do because sports a sport is a business. And so she taught me so much about, about budgeting and planning and, and adherence to planning and all that kind of stuff that, that was valuable for coaching, but has also served me well in business. And one of the things that she asked me one day was what was the most important thing that I wanted from my athletes. And it's, it's a similar answer in that I don't necessarily want people to like me but I do want my interactions and my relationships with people and by extension, my, my team and currently my company to have an impact on them. And that doesn't mean that they like what that impact was, but it means that it has an impact and that might push them to make a decision to like in, in coaching, playing basketball is maybe not for me because I hated this coach and I hated how hard he pushed me. And, and because of that, I'm not going to, I'm going to leave basketball and, and maybe I'll blame him for that. But instead that, that really pushes someone to be a part of something that they didn't even know they could do because it was hidden by this, this uh, other dream they thought they had. So I think success in business is having that impact and if that impact is that we were the people that tried what we're trying and proved that it didn't work and it was a catastrophic failure and and now nobody should ever do it again well well we had an impact and and that would accomplish that goal and in in terms of family and personal relationships i'm just trying to get aligned uh, i'm i'm trying i, I want to be aligned with what i want to be and and then actually being it and and i'm not there yet but I, but i'm really trying that's a great answer. Very hard to get aligned with a wife. Just uh, FYI, I try my best, but it's a work in progress there, Ken. Um, Does she listen to this? I, I, I hope she's not listening not to this one. <laughs> she is not subscribing anymore. She does the intro, though. Um, so you're now navigating as a coach for your company. And the two of us, Kieran and I, were drawn to the fact that you've completed the old MBA with uh, with Seth Godin, somebody that you know we've mm. got all his books here in our office. What was that experience like, and what did you take from that for your own piece of work in business? Oh, it was it was game changing. It number one, I think I was one of the only people in our cohort that didn't already have a business degree, and so 
It was like day one, I remember somebody said bootstrap. Like they asked me if I if I had a company. At that time I didn't. And and if it was bootstrapped and I <laughs> the, the conversation kind of flowed on and I was like, I'm just going to chuck this question out there, guys, because I don't know. And sorry if it wastes time, but what does bootstrapped mean? And the people, the people on the Zoom call were like, who's this guy? Like, <laughs> and so the first couple sessions were like, I'm, I'm ripping through the books. I'm Googling like crazy. I'm doing like 16 hour days trying to get the assignments done and that kind of thing, especially over that first week or so, just trying to fill the gaps between me and the people that I was working with. And there was not a single other person involved in sport. There was not a single other person who um, didn't have, at least in my cohort, didn't have some kind of background in business formally. And so it was so game changing because it was like I had to learn at least enough to play in that sandbox in a very short amount of time, not to mention what the alt MBA itself taught me in terms of, in terms of how I approach business and how I approach things like sunk costs and risk and putting things out into the world and, and, and launching things. And not to mention the fact that actually Melanie, um, Koopman's Visitham, who's my, our partner on the grow project. She's a psychotherapist in North Carolina. She's actually also an alt MBA alumni. And we connected through the alumni group um, to become partners years later. So I, I can't say enough about what the Alt MBA did. Sounds brilliant. What I was going to ask is you mentioned a bit about humility and habits and different sort of words like this on your Instagram. I'm just wondering, and we, and we spoke about values earlier. What do you think the most important value is for a, a culture going forward after facing all of the, the drawbacks and the setbacks from the pandemic? I don't think that you can apply a blanket answer to that. Our data is spectacular right now in showing the amount of real grief that is occurring in organizations. And grief doesn't necessarily mean like sadness, but there's grief in the form of things like guilt, guilt of having a job when others don't, guilt of not being able to provide for a family, uh, even even the guilt or grief surrounding the fact that they don't actually feel bad. Like I, I'm actually fine. I don't feel bad for too many other people, too many others out there right now. And now I feel bad that I should feel bad. And, and there's just such a thick layer in the data of, of traits and a- actions and verbalizations in, in the workplace right now of, of this grief that I think that if I were to put one thing at the center, it's really the authentic alignment of leaders with those that they're leading because there's so many people who feel as though that person that is that is quote unquote above them and and that organizational terminology will differ but maybe they they're feeling as though that person isn't feeling those things as well and the immense amount of grief that we're seeing in leaders, in addition to those that they lead, is something that is not being communicated clearly enough. The fact that the calls to furlough or lay people off or let people go or close a business are taking its toll on the leadership is not something that is being understood by both sides all the time. And so I I really believe that 
culture is, is the solution to the economic challenges that many organizations are facing right now. And the ones that get on it in the times of stress will be the ones that are ready for the inevitable economic expansion that comes after the current contraction. And the grief piece and the ability to communicate that we're all feeling it and how we're all feeling it and what that looks like and feels like at all levels of an organization is a huge first step in being able to move that culture forward, regardless of current situations for an organization. A, a lovely piece. I'd like to ask, we've asked you an awful lot about you as a person, as an individual, and also your business and the different strands of those businesses. But you know, I we're both into basketball. I've played for many years and, you know, worked in basketball for a lot, long time as well. Curious, you being a coach, um, just that was nearly one of my last questions as to what does it make to be a great coach for you? You're, you've, you've coached um, on the court, but, you, but you're now coaching in, in an office and, and coaching virtually and all that. So what does make a great coach for you? <laughs> I, I, I'm sure there's so many of my my ex players who are listening to this right now yelling at it. Well, he doesn't know. <laughs> That's not true. He never did that. Yeah, yeah. He benched me straight away after that. Exactly. There's gonna. <laughs> there's definitely gonna be some who are like, he has no idea. Don't listen to this. Um, Don't subscribe to that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just you just lost at least ten people. Um, no, I. I <laughs> This is this is going to be different for everybody because in coaching, I love the Pete Carroll versus Bill Belichick continuum, which I don't know if, if either of you follow American football at all, but Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll is so relationship oriented and and so raw and vulnerable and authentic. And, and I, I have so much respect for him because of that. And because of that, he's pulled so many great things from athletes that others have have been unable to. And he wins and he's won for a long time. And his book, um, his, his book, I think it's called win forever is, is amazing. Um, and then Bill Belichick, very much not so relationship based and a little bit more militaristic and authoritarian in his leadership style, but obviously also extremely successful. And, and you could argue more successful than Pete Carroll, at least if we just look at wins and, and rings. And I, I, I really do believe that, that for me, my coaching, my coaching sits a little bit more on that Pete Carroll side. And again, this is going to be where some athletes are just like, boo, but, um, <laughs> but I, I just want to, I, I want to connect and I want, I want to teach them and put them in situations where they can learn from errors and are willing to make the errors. And that the learning that they take from those mistakes, those errors, those failures are things that they take through their life long after I'm not working with them anymore. And I don't think that means just telling them how it should have been done or forcing the situation, but I want the relationship that we have to be one that's so real and so solid that when the situation for failure or mistakes or errors occurs, that the two of us can walk alongside each other and figure out the solution. And that one day later on in their life, they're looking back and, and fondly, fondly remembering that moment that they came to that solution um, alongside their coach. Whether they, whether they like the coach or not is completely irrelevant to me. But the learning and the solution piece is the key. 
Excellent. That actually ties in nicely to the only scripted question of the show. And it's when we ask everybody that comes on, it's what's high performance mean to you again? I've listened to a, a few of your shows now and, and the answers are, are honestly, I, like I've, I've definitely written some of them down and, and I've, I played with this one a little bit, but I, I've, I think this has been threaded through our whole conversation and that I'm going to stick with my values and, and my instincts on this one, which is that high performance and performance is relative. And we far too often subscribe to the school of thought that performance and high performance is for people who are in a spotlight or for people who it's quote unquote required of sports, business, that kind of thing. But one of the things that we've really t threaded through everything that we do, and, and one of the things that I talk about all the time with a ton of clients and one-on-one -on -one work in our training, anecdotally in our data collections, that kind of thing, is that performance is relative to every group, every individual, and every moment. And moments are just that. They're moments. There's, there's this one, and then there's a the next one. And so... There is no path to high performance for me as I'll come all the way back to my original answer as a son and a brother, uh, as a coach, as a founder of a business. I can't perform if I can't be fully in that moment. And so high performance for every individual, whether they whether it's perceived to be required of them or not, is their ability to be in the moment, to be mindful, and their ability to make decisions in a headspace that reflects that and react in a way that reflects that, as opposed to being in moments where there's there's worry about past or future or stress um, or anger. If we're holding on to those other moments that are before and after, and not in this one, then high performance is not possible. But if we're here and now, whether I'm a young mother, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, or a basketball player stepping on the court for my first college basketball game of my life, if I can find a way to be mindful and here and in this moment, then that is high performance, is being here and now in that moment. Well, Kieran's been scribbling down for the last three minutes, Ken. So we've been writing how to be the best version of yourself, okay? <laughs> um, no, Ken, what a fantastic answer. And, you know, you are, you're, you're within that group now of people when we'd be looking back onto that answer and taking what we can from that. Here's a, here's a human being, a family man, a leader, a coach, an entrepreneur. That's how he's defining it. What can we take from that? Um, the two of us would like to finish, Ken, just saying, you know, thanks very much for your time. Very grateful but um, where can people find more about you and everything that you do and a little bit more about what makes you tick and who you are? Well, the easiest way is to go. We're on all social medias um, where our boost innovation is Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram is boost Institute, the boost Institute on Facebook and BoostInnovation.io will take you to both the Boost Institute and Boost Tech side, as well as kind of give a full picture of everything else. Um, 
And if you want to learn about me or just see some of my stuff, then www.kenking.fun is the place to go for that. And and in, I didn't know that you could get a dot .fun, but uh, dot fu- as soon as I heard about dot .fun, I knew that that was going to be what my personal webpage was going to be. So kenking.fun is is me personally. I, I don't update it very often, but it's it's got some stuff in there. Excellent. Um, Ken, I'd like to say thanks very much for your time. Just uh, FYI, uh, listeners, myself and Ken have been back and forth on LinkedIn for probably six to seven months. <laughs> And um, glad that we've managed to make it happen today. So, Ken, wish you all the best from the two of us here across in Ireland. If you ever do venture across on your boat or in that amphibious vehicle because you're not flying, um, give us a shout and we'll, we'll be happy to host you. Well, I appreciate you guys so much for this. I'm so glad that we finally got a chance to connect. And yeah, we're we're trying to we're trying to get out of the air, but it's it's not as as easy as uh, Greta makes it sound. Though I'm trying to live up to Greta's standard a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Ken. Talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat: A Story of High Performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.